1: Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready, get buckled in, and be ready to take notes. We're going to be deep diving more into investing, and this is going to be, I think, the third or fourth part uh, series that we're doing on property investing. And, of course, we're taking the usual Harris Rules approach, making it practical and tactical. So get ready to take notes. Julie's going to be giving us some actual uh, math, (laughs) uh, basic math, the basic stuff you need. (laughs) Yuck, yucky, yucky, as Zoe would say. But we're going to be giving you the the math on multifamilies, and we're going to be uh, integrating it. Uh, and I think hopefully what you guys will agree is easy to swallow, easy to understand bits of information. It's very important, and Julie said this yesterday, that you don't just summarily write something off because it seems a little complicated. We know some of this formulaic approach to investing in real estate does seem a little complicated. And so what we're gonna do is break it down and make it very simple. And we're also gonna give you all of our hacks, all the things we've learned over the past couple decades from property investing and obviously working with all of our coaching clients to property invest. By the way, guys, I do not know. I do not know a single multimillionaire or I'll go as far as to say, I do not know of a single multimillionaire or billionaire Who's, um, who do not have at least half, if not a majority, of their net worth in real estate. One of the things that if you study history that has always basically passed through generations, um, I mean, gold has, silver has, a lot of times that stays in families as part of a family dynasty. But the one thing that everyone seems to have always kept their wealth or through thick and thin, through good times and bad times, has always been real estate and the wealthiest families in the world have always held their wealth, their greatest portions of their wealth in real estate. So just, you know, I guess maybe there's something we can learn from, uh, you know, <laughs> all the history of man to maybe follow in their footsteps. So uh, Julie, before we get to the first point, um, do you have, I know you have some folks you want to acknowledge.
2: Just some quick uh, shout outs. You know on yesterday's podcast we were hearing from robbie quinn about completing his prospecting session where he was circle prospecting around a listing he just put it under contract well Wasn't so much later that Rhett Jarrett posted just sold my first listing at 99% list, two days on the market, record high sale price for the development. Now I've got to go tell the neighborhood, check out the marketing I use to get some attention. So he posted that, and a lot of times, Tim, I know that these agents are posting on our private Facebook page for a little bit of accountability. So he had a lot of uh, back and forth and looks fantastic, nice job. And I'm also using this on the podcast to kind of turn up the heat so that he can get the next listing in that neighborhood showing off that he was able to sell it quickly and for top dollar. So that's all good. Then I have several people requesting role play Partners, Accountability Partners. The place to do that is on our premier call. You guys always connect with each other when you go to the daily call that I run right after the show. And let's see, I think that that's a lot of people introducing themselves, but those are my shout outs for the time being. And then I'm anxious to jump into this commercial multifamily, how to evaluate, how to calculate some of this math. You know, it's not my favorite thing in the world to do these math, these word problems. But I also know from running the Premier Coaching Call, Tim, that many agents, when they see something like operating expenses, capital expenditures, net, you know, NOI, I don't know anything about this. I'm going to have to refer it off. Or I'm not even what, going to call Julie? that lead back. Not going to email them back so i'm doing it to educate them but also to make them more money go ahead
1: so you mentioned rhett jared actually i wanted to read this this is from our private facebook page but i think guys it's very telling um, a lot of you are looking for motivation to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And even paying members of our premier coaching program, you guys go to the private Facebook page, and I can tell some of you have basically had a lifetime of silver bullets and easy buttons, and you think you're going to find more on our, uh, in our coaching program, and you're not. We're not going to lie to you. We're not going to deceive you, and you guys in any way with regards to easy buttons. It really does. If you want – look, there might be an occasional – something you can get from buying a lead here or there. And maybe in some markets, buying buyer leads might still work. I'm not, it, it's not a you can't just summarily assume that in all markets, buying Zo leads doesn't work because it might. Um, you, know, you might be in a market where there's not a lot of competition from other agents trying to buy leads. So just remember, Julie and I are kind of agnostic about where you get your business as long as you're getting business. And where you guys are sort of confused is that you are in denial that what you're trying to do uh, is not getting you business. So you will continue doing things month after month that don't work because you think that somehow, maybe, if you just dig deep enough in the earth, one day you'll strike oil. And that's insanity because you're just going to go broke. And unless you have really a huge uh, budget to uh, you know, blow on silver bullets, I strongly suggest that you just cut right to it and do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. So, Rhett Jarrett, who I know is a listener and also a premier member, This is his actual post, and I thought this was great. He goes, just sold my first listing at uh, 99.99% list, two days in the market. at a record high price for the development. Now, i got to tell the neighborhood, uh, check out the marketing I used. Okay, so Julie talked about that. Now, I was the first. Now, there's been 55 people that have commented, but here's what I said. Congratulations. Where did you get the listing lead in the first place? And then he responds, your FISBO script. And I respond, boom, excellent. Drill down, use this as as proof. You'll never, uh, you'll as all the proof you'll ever need to know that real work gets you real results. And I said lock it in Ret. And then we go on basically. There's this long, long conversation of basically people. Uh, coaching clients and ret uh, kind of coaching them as far as like lock it in. Don't screw around. Just realize that the greatest opportunity you can have in your life, not just your real estate business, but in your life as a result of the success you have of, of, from selling real estate can come from just living the mindset, living the lifestyle of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. Guys, look, we have, you know, there's 40 Harris rules in the book, but truthfully, there's probably about another 40 that Julian had written down. We just didn't put it in the book. Maybe the updated version that's coming out in a year, we'll put those in there. But here's the real bottom line. If you want something that other people don't have, you have to be willing with, to do what they're not willing to do. In other words, if you want to have a great body, you're going to have to do something really onerous, like going to Orange Theory every day. It's terrible, but we do it every day. And a lot of our top clients do something with Orange Theory or something similar. If you want to have uh, like a lot of ever-increasing levels of success, a lot of people believe that you can only have a good month then a bad month or a good year then a bad year, maybe a good couple of years and a bad couple of years. And so they set themselves up to experience those, you know, those highs and lows throughout their entire lives. Same with health, same with relationships, same with everything. Why? Why do you do that to yourselves? It doesn't have to be that way. If you work consistently doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level, why wouldn't you always have ever increasing uh, you know, uh, levels of success and happiness and health? Why wouldn't you? No, obviously one day you'll die, but other than that, why wouldn't you actually decide to work consistently? Because when you work consistently, it gets easier. So you guys have he- been hearing me and Julie bitch about Orange Theory since we started to go last August. And I have to tell you, it's getting a lot easier. And then we're amping it up. You know, Julie's, I don't even know what, 5X her, her ability to basically exercise on the on the cardio, on the, uh, the runner. I don't wanna get too much into Orange Theory, but you guys get the idea. If she, you know, Julie stayed locked in doing what she didn't want to do and she didn't want to do it at the highest level for a long period of time, and it paid off. So listen, for, listen to Rhett, listen to all of our thousands of other coaching clients and just make this year the year that you're truly going to master doing the hard work. Um, now, I want to also, Julie, touch on the fact that uh, we are going to be doing uh, the Harris Rules or really the Tim and Julie Harris Mid-Year Mastermind. It looks like it's going to take place the last Saturday in July. We are only going to sell 50 tickets. I know we could sell a lot more than that, but we're only going to sell 50 tickets. The tickets are going to be available first to our premier coaching members, or rather to our elite coaching members, VIP coaching members, and premier coaching members, and then to non-coaching members. But there's pretty much no chance they're not going to be gobbled up on the first day or two. So if you're listening and you're not in premier and you want to go to our mid-year mastermind, that's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to enroll. If you're listening and you are in one of our three programs, when I make that button live, I'll let everyone know about it on the private Facebook page. Make sure you do not screw around and overthink it. Just go grab a ticket. We're only going to do 50 uh, seats, and that's it. It's going to be a small event. This is a non selling event. It's a true mastermind, many of which, many of you have never been to a true mastermind before. Many of you go to these events thinking that you're going to an educational event and then discover it's just an event to sell you something. We're, nothing's going to be for sale at this event. It's a real honest to God mastermind. It's going to be in Austin, Texas. It's going to be the last Saturday. It's going to really be effectively uh, you know Friday evening, all day Saturday, and then uh, Sunday morning if you or Sunday, like half day if you're wanting to stay. But Saturday's the essence of the program. So that's going to be the order page for that. It's going to be going live here in the next probably day or so. So stay frosty on that. And if you've not yet registered for the Agent Millions event, it's an online, um, you know, it's our online really a mastermind, but really it is. it's our top uh, producing agents. And these are agents that are most of them are selling two 300 houses per year there's 19 of them and there were, we also have folks from like the president of national association of realtors we have other people that are also part of this event we're doing these once a week twice a week maybe it depends on how many people show interest but just go to agentmillions.com, agentmillions.com, and you can register it's a free online webinar Um, And, you know, guys, it's interview style. So a lot of you love that because I'm able to ask all the hard questions and most of them give us their complete answers. Right. All right. So, Julie, let's just jump in where we left off yesterday.
2: Yes. So now we're talking about, let's say that you are interested in investing in multifamily property and or you have clients asking you about this or prospects asking you about this. So in yesterday's podcast, we discussed the benefits that multifamily space provides, but now we're going to look at how to actually calculate value. I think this will also help some of you guys that struggle with commercial BPOs and turn those down. So remember, part of our goal as your coaches or soon-to-be coaches is for you to be able to say, yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. Tell me more. Instead of... Um, that's not really my cup of tea. Let me find you somebody, right? So, in multifamily investing, it's all about net operating income known as n o i of the property and the fact that the investor is purchasing the property based on an income stream. First, we've got to understand some key terms. So again, unlike residential, where they have to fall in love with it and decide where their Christmas tree is going to be, we are talking dollars and cents here, n o i. So, What are operating expenses? That's simply costs that are incurred to maintain and run a property. So some examples for commercial real estate would be trash removal, snow plowing, pest control, lawn care, elevator maintenance, pool maintenance. These are operating expenses. So think of it in terms of how to operate your business. Your commercial investments, just like your single family homes are a little mini business. In some cases, a a medium size or a big business but it's the cost to operate it. It's literally what it says, operating expenses. So next we have capital expenditure. An expenditure, a capital expenditure is for an asset that will improve or extend the useful life of an existing asset for a period to exceed one year. Examples might be hot water tanks, driveways, roofs, HVAC units. Many investors set a budget, you know, a set amount per unit each year to cover these types of expenses. They have a fund set up for capital expenditure. That would be the smart thing to do so that it doesn't sneak up on you with no funds to handle that. So you may have to set aside a larger amount depending on the age and the condition of the property. The capital expenditure figure falls below the net operating income so it does not affect the value of the asset, but it does affect your cash flow, the money you see in your bottom line. That's why we have to know all of these terms, not just what is the net operating income, you know, what is the cap rate. We need to also look at some of this capital expenditure. What are you going to be shelling out to take care of this property? Maybe it was brand new, built six months ago. That's going to be a lot cheaper than something that's maybe converted apartments to condos to what have you, and it's really old and needing everything so
1: jules let's 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 level off there Let no no you're fine let's level off there because it's important that people understand the life cycle of a lot of the things that are part of buildings and this is the reason julie and i always (laughs) this is the essence of the reason why julie and i always you know suggest you guys get started in singles first single families you can buy a single family and you know you have one furnace you have one roof you have one driveway you have one hot water tank and listen to what I'm saying. You can get all those covered under like an American Home Shield warranty. So you can literally buy a single family rental property and you can put an American Home Shield warranty on it. And if any of that crap breaks, you can have the warranty replace it all. We have Home Shield warranties, American Home Shield warranties on all of our rentals. Well, you can't really do that in big multifamilies. So what you got to do is when you're looking at these multifamilies, a lot of times these things go for sale when they basically are maybe five years away from needing a massive amount of maintenance and so when you're looking at furnaces you got to know how long these things last a really good high-end furnace doesn't really last longer than a crappy furnace the only thing a really good high-end furnace is it's more efficient which means it hypothetically will cost less to you know use over the over its life cycle but in most you know most parts of the country a furnace hvac it's only going to last 10 or 12 years a dishwasher the same thing a refrigerator the same thing i mean you could have a rental with a real high end i mean julie julie and i have rentals in vegas and some of them have these really high-end appliances and like when those things break you can get them fixed you can get the parts replaced you know because the replacement refrigerator is going to cost like 30 grand crazy stuff like that so you really got to know what you're getting into before you you know basically pull the plug on, or I'm sorry, push the button on any of these, and then also keep in mind the life cycle of all these types of things. Julie mentioned driveways. I mean, a concrete driveway, for example, will last like maybe 15 or 20 years, maybe 30 years, where a blacktop will last half that. A metal roof, here's something I learned when we moved to Texas and we started buying rentals, a metal roof will last 40 or 50 years, whereas an asphalt shingle roof will only last like 20. So again, have your eyes open when you're walking into these, because if they seem like a great deal, uh, you, and or if, not, if the net op- operating expenses seem really, really low, like my gosh, this is a great building. You could just be seeing early warning signs of deferred maintenance.
2: That's a great segue into how to handle a cap rate. A lot of I think agents that are getting into this or maybe don't know all the bits and pieces and moving parts think that cap rate is the only thing. You just get that number and you decide is it good or isn't it? But the the age what the expenses are affects the cap rate. So these things are all related that's why we're being so detailed with helping you guys figure this out. So what is your net operating income, your NOI? That's the annual income generated from a property minus the total operating expenses. Now you know what operating expenses are and you can figure out your NOI. Now cap rate, another term that freaks people out. The cap rate is the rate of return on an investment property based on income. Cap rates are specific to a market and are affected by the property class, A, B, C, or D that you're investing in. A broker should be able to tell you the cap rate in his market. You guys should be able to figure out the cap rate. So what's a cap rate? It stands for capitalization rate, often referred to again as a cap rate. It's a fundamental concept used in commercial real estate. It is the rate of return on a real estate investment property based on the income the property is expected to generate. This metric is used to estimate the investor's potential return on his or her investment. So it's basically a rating, you're gauging how good or not good it is. Now, how do you figure it out? It is not an elaborate thing that requires calculus or anything like that, thank goodness for me. So the capitalization rate of an investment can be calculated by, here's the big equation, divide the property's net operating income or NOI, Net Operating Income, by the current market value, which is your acquisition cost of a property. That's your purchase price, potentially. The cap rate equals net operating income divided by the current market value, okay? So we're gonna do an example, Tim. Nice, fun, big word problem, but stay with me. It's gonna demonstrate a point about why cap rate matters and why it's not the only thing that matters. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, I love it. Good job. Keep going. Yes, I know. I know where we're going here.
2: All right, perfect. So I guess I think it's important to not just say what it is, but show them why they should care and how to use it. So in the simplest of terms, the cap rate can be a useful tool when it comes to comparing similar real estate properties, which one should you buy, in other words, or which one should your clients potentially buy. So let's say that James wants to buy an investment property for $900,000 and expects that it will generate $125,000 per year after operating costs. The cap rate for this this investment would be 13.89%. That's 125,000 divided by 900,000, which is 0.1389, which really means 13.89%. Hopefully you guys follow me on that. Again, purchase price, potentially 900,000, generating 125,000 per year uh, after operating costs. So you gotta figure all that in. And I would stop here for a second, Tim, because sometimes when commercial brokers tell you the cap rate, they can jimmy with this number and either not include all of the operating costs, maybe because they're doing that on purpose to jack the cap rate, or maybe they just don't know what those operating costs are. So you gotta be careful with even getting this far in the math. But let's say that it's all the way it appears. The cap rate then is 13.89%. As James continues to search for the right investment property, he could now use this expected cap rate to gauge the possible return generated from any comparable properties in the same price range with expenses considered. Again, the uh, capital expenditure is not part of that equation, but if you're looking at a $900,000 purchase price and you know that every single unit needs an air conditioning unit, well, you have gotta factor that in too um so there's lots of questions to be asked here but the cap rates real world applications are fairly complicated because of all those different factors if we build upon the example james is looking at let's presume he finds another property with the same expenses however let me get i had a little thing flashing on my screen okay so uh same operating expenses but with a cap rate of seven percent well it would be easy to think that james should purchase his first option because the cap rate's higher right Seems like the right move, but what if that building with the higher cap rate is an older rundown apartment building with high turnover and the lower cap is a maybe off modern office building with long-term corporate leases and maybe it's in a superior location. Gotta look at the big picture. It makes sense that the office building would have the higher appraised value due to age, possible extra amenities and the makeup of its renters. So the first option comes with added risk along with the higher cap rate things like vacancy rates, possible needed renovation and updates. With The first option you're paying less with the opportunity of a higher return because of the added risk. Just as in the world of traditional securities, the difference in return or the cap rate can highlight a higher risk. James would have to address his risk tolerance along with the cap rate in making his decision. The Cap rate is a good point. It's like a jumping off point to have something to work with to evaluate commercial real estate but it is one of many factors. So that is my talk about valuation of these different multifamilies. And I, you know, generally I use my residential brain as a a default, but you can do that too. You know, when you're valuating a normal single family home, it is not that different. The only difference is that you're not taking into, uh, into, you know, the cap rate, right? You're still looking at the viability of the house, the repairs, the age, is it rentable or not? If you did rent it, what would you get for it? You you have most of that conversation already in your normal brain. We just have to add some of this math. Does that make sense to him? I'm just trying to link it all together for them.
1: It does. And here's where my mind went. Number one, guys, you have to, there's an old Ronald Reagan saying, um, it's called trust, but verify. And we're you know basically being as direct with you guys about this as possible. Just assume that the numbers you're being provided for any of these rental properties are packed you know and when you get into these big multi-families well let's just say you get into the the small multi-families those are probably run by mom and pops and they probably maybe didn't necessarily run that five family or that ten family or whatever as efficiently as they could have so you're going to have to basically take whatever documentation they give you whatever they tell you the cap rate is when they send over their expenses and all all that look it's a that's just kind of like a, a starting point you're going to need to go in there and you're going to need to verify you know, trust, but verify. So one of the things that we've done in the past is we will go there to wherever this, you know, the potential investment is, if it's a multifamily and we'll actually go and talk to the neighbors. We'll talk to the people living there. If there's a property manager, it's usually a resident who's getting a break on his rent, you know, when you say a 20 unit or less, and we'll just go and talk to him. You know, what's up, man? What's, what's this place really need? Well, it turns out the flat roofs on all the buildings are crapped out and, you know, it turns out the termites have, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, you guys get the idea. So trust but verify. You really have to go in there and do some serious due diligence on all these types of investments. Obviously, this is less true on the newer projects because you're going to have, you know, basically a lot of no knowledge because they're going to be newer buildings with newer appliances and newer everything else. When you get into the older stuff, which is where most of you will start as you start, and maybe it's a great place to start. Um, yeah, that's where you're going to you're gonna have to do a lot of your own homework. This is the reason why Julie and I always suggest you guys start with single families. Now um, the next thing, and I mentioned this uh, three or four shows ago, be very, very careful about buying in up and coming areas. Be very, very, the only time in all the years that we've been buying rentals that we ever got screwed on a rental was when we did it to ourselves and bought one in this area that was up and coming. And it wasn't, it had gone and left. And this area was bad and got worse. You know what I'm talking about, right, Julie? You
2: need is a little recession to just make sure that that happens. And then, honestly, I was surprised at how quickly that that happened. It can turn on you. So when in doubt, you know, if you're seeing bars on the window and the street next door to you is maybe okay, but the one next to that is not, you are too close to that risk. You have to have some rules and some filters set up. There is enough property in the world that you can always keep looking.
1: And what what and the other thing is it, again when you're starting if you want the least amount of hassle when you're getting started I'm not going to say you would live there but buy a place that maybe you would live it doesn't have to be super fancy or whatever but you want to make sure that when you're there you feel safe when you're there walking around the house or the you know the the building you don't see things that you wouldn't want your family exposed to the only reason I'm suggesting is that it, it is because you, that'll give you a good indication of what kind of tenants you're going to get because at the end of the day, your experience with being a property investor, just like your experience owning a business, remember each of these units you buy is going to be a small business. Well, if you got, if you own a normal business, let's say, you know, you own a laundry mat or you own I don't even know what a coin op car wash or something, you know, like that, and you have it in a bad part of town, and you have people abusing your equipment, abusing your staff, abusing everything. Well, that's not a very good investment, even if the cash flow is great, because it's going to be abusing you. So keep that in mind. And when you do start again with a small single family house, consider buying the single family house. That is the perfect first time buyer house or the first perfect downsizer house. Don't buy a house. That's just a downsizer house or don't buy a house. that's just one or the other. Like for, you know, Julie and I look for areas that are near near campuses like colleges and whatnot. And we always look for uh, homes that are near city centers. And here's the two reasons why in a recession, there those areas are generally speaking not adversely affected like areas that are uh, further out the bedroom community type places so that's what we look for we look and generally speaking these these are going to be older housing stock in most major cities these are going to be little houses that were built after world war ii especially true in the midwest but even out in california these are going to be older well out in california be mostly in the 50s and 60s but those types of houses if you buy something that's too far away from where people work or if you buy something that's, you know, anything that's going to be basically a little bit too risky and the economy goes to hell and un- unemployment rises and all the rest of it, not as bad as it happened back in 07, but the two recessions before that. What happens is those tenants have a tendency to lose their jobs and they can't afford to drive to work. And then you're, you know, you're dealing with a big mess. So if you look in cities, if you look like I mean, Julie and I mentioned 43214 in Columbus, Ohio, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that because now the prices have gone crazy, hey, but 43214. I know, Julie, I should just shut up, right? I don't so 43214, 43085, these are areas where Julie and I used to live when we sold real estate and sold real estate, you know, and bought rentals. And those areas were always fantastic. Now, they didn't always appreciate, like, you know, <laughs> when, you worked in, when you sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio, and somebody asked what the appreciation rate was, there was no appreciation, really. It was basically houses were keeping up with the rate of inflation, which is typically around 3%. So, look, if you want to call appreciation the inspection. same... Well, if you want to call appreciation the same thing as inflation, that's fine. But I don't. I think appreciation is anything over the inflation rate, but I'm just being a wonk. So, but you know, here's the thing. You could buy a house in 43214, 43085. And for the longest time, until maybe like the last five or six years, they just appreciated very slowly and predictably when the, when the markets on the coast boomed. Columbus stayed the same. When the markets on the coast crashed, Columbus stayed the same, you know, because it was 15, 20 minutes, those areas from uh, the city center, from the capital of the state. It was fifteen or 20 minutes from Ohio State, the largest you know university in the world, I guess. I think it still is, something like sixty thousand or more students go there, you know, with all the uh, ancillary campuses. And you those are the types of areas you look, and there's tons of areas around the, around the country like that. We mentioned around Butler University. We mentioned in North Carolina. You know, there's lots happening in these little um, areas that have been for considered to be sort of the second and third tier investment areas. Everyone for the longest time, like,
2: you know, when you tend to go towards those neighborhoods, you have lower taxes because they're closer to the city. They're not out in urban higher taxes. And number two, you don't have a homeowners association to wreck your cap rate that'll dent some of the potential purchases that these guys look at sometimes. You know, you might have a great opportunity to buy in a condo building, but you still have to factor in all of those dues and fees and all that kind of fun stuff. So, uh, I mean, even, Parts of Arizona it's not just an HOA you also have a tribal fee You're on Indian land you've got an HOA plus another fee so you got to look into that this is not the only place for you guys to look but it's a good place to get started and I would say the third benefit is that type of thing is a lot easier to sell whether it's a recession or not because more people can afford the normal single family home first second time buyer type of price range than buying too high up and speculating that it, you're on the ascension and that the market's going to catch you So it takes a lot of noodling on this, and that's why one of our previous homeworks from uh, when we started this series of podcasts was to actually get to know your market. Where are the pockets where you live, and maybe there aren't any, but maybe there are, that make for some potential great investment? If you've never seen a multifamily, take yourself on a preview tour, see what is actually available. Usually there's a unit that you can see in a building or something of that nature. Maybe you're curious about strip malls or about office plexes. You have to educate yourself on that stuff so that you can have the right answers. And so you can stop saying no to prospects who are asking you about these things. Make sense?
1: Here's the basic formula that all of you should seriously consider adopting. This is what Julie and I figured out. I mean, what? almost three, oh my God, woman, almost three decades ago. It's amazing to think, isn't it? So oh. our, you know, our original premise was basically we wanted to have rental properties uh, producing enough cash flow. That that cash flow covered our personal overhead. That was it. Those are simple, you know, idea. And so, really, to make that happen, and again, you guys can use Real Estate Treasure Map. There's a lot of math in there to help you drill down on your personal business expenses. But the real idea was that once we got to that point, and this this you have financial freedom, right? If you have cash flow coming in to pay for your lifestyle, well, some of you have really expensive lifestyles, so it'll take longer. So, you know, some of you have. Um, you know, just other financial obstacles that you're going to have to overcome, so it might take longer, but for the most part, everybody listening, when you follow that simple formula, you'll be able to have financial freedom faster than you think. We've had coaching clients who have heard us say this, you know, and they've t- basically jumped in with two feet. They've sacrificed their living their lifestyle today with the idea that they could be financially free, and I have absolutely had coaching clients that within 2 or 3 years they trimmed down their personal expenses. You know, they basically took kids out of private schools, like, you know, canceled memberships to, you know, country clubs, stopped leasing expensive cars. They really did the Dave Ramsey thing and cut back, cut, paid off all their debt. Uh, and then what they did is they basically started buying rental properties and they paid them off. And now those rental properties, you know, are typically producing seven, ten thousand $10,000 a month in positive cash flow. Now here's the miraculous thing. When that actually happens, when you can create that in your life, you don't stop working. You actually work uh, differently. In other words, you're a lot more careful with your time and you would then have the choice of who you work with. So that's the real freedom that comes from, I don't know of any other way to do it, guys. Look, most of us are never going to have a rich uncle that's going to leave us a bunch of money. Most of us are never going to you know, have an IPO. Most of us are never going to buy a winning lottery ticket. Most of us are never going to have any kind of real liquidity event other than the ones we create for ourselves. And so tomorrow, the next day, and I'm guessing probably two or three more shows after that, we're going to continue to drill down. One of the shows I'm really looking forward to helping you guys with is how to figure out how to actually finance these things. Because as licensees, many of you don't realize this, but you can use your commission to finance these deals. You can use your commission as part of your down payment. In some cases, you're going to be able to use your commission plus a second mortgage from the seller to come up with all your down payment so you don't have to save any cash. So we're going to explain to you guys how to do that, Um, but do seriously go back and listen to the other shows we've done on this particular topic. Don't be overwhelmed by, you know, sometimes it's very, there's great tons of information out there available nowadays on YouTube and all these other places, but what happens is you go from zero knowing very little to all of a sudden you're now having to you know, master all this complicated math. That's the reason Julie and I suggest you start with a single family house. Something simple. And then once you realize how frankly easy it is, then you're going to want to buy more. And that's how it always works. So if you guys need us for anything, all uh we're easy to reach, right? All of you know that. Tim at timandjuliharris.com or Julie at timandjulieharris.com. Those of you interested in attending our mid-year mastermind, the eventbrite page is going to go live hopefully this week. Um, it's going to be available to premier coaching members, VIP coaching members, and elite coaching members first. Um, but then the rest of you who are not coaching members, which you really should be coaching members, uh, will have an opportunity to join us too. It's going to be just in Austin, Texas. It's going to be the last Saturday of July. Uh, it's going to actually be basically a three day event, but the bulk of the event's going to happen on the 27th of July, I believe. Um, so a lot of announcements are going to be coming, um, about that over the next couple of days. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow.